0: Hey, it's Scott Petrack with another episode of the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast. Since we last talked, Deshaun Watson changed his mind, was introduced at a serious news conference, and the NFL held its owners' meetings. Joining me to, to discuss it all is Dave Chudowski of Go,
1: the WKYC Morning News. How are you, Chud? Scott, it almost feels like the regular season. Like, it's been three games since we talked, you know? <laughs> we we, we got we to gotta break down... Uh, three Sundays ago, Monday night football and, you know, another game. It's, it's like everything you just mentioned there and everything we got to get to, I, you know, I, it's, it's crazy. The last time we talked was the morning of his decision to change his mind. And I think it was about three forty, and I was driving home from working out, I think, and uh, listening to uh, the radio and uh, heard it come across that there was breaking news. So I, I jumped to Twitter real quick and saw it and I, I couldn't believe it. And there's very few times, as you know, where in this business, we're like, I can't believe it, but I know you feel the same way. I, I just was stunned because he said he wasn't coming here. We taped that last pod as if he was not coming here and he changed his mind. And, and that just does not happen often.
0: No, you're exactly right. Yeah, you know, there was no heads up. You know, I had talked to people who, Said he wasn't coming, right? So you'd heard it yourself. Um, We, you know, we taped that podcast, like you mentioned, with that being the news. Now, we did enough of, you know, should he be coming and why it would be a good move football-wise if he did and all those kinds of things. But the bottom line had been he wasn't going to be here. And that changed a lot from a ton of perspectives, right? Um, From my perspective, it's, okay, well, now – you don't have to worry about him coming and following the legal cases and the civil suits. And then it becomes what happens with Baker Mayfield. Is there a chance that he comes back and, you know, all the dominoes um, from the decision, the original decision to rule out the Browns. And then that all switched And you know, sometimes, you know, if you're in this business, you get a heads up. Yeah. Something's coming right. Where it's not a total surprise. I did not get that heads up this time. It was a total surprise when I saw, They come across Twitter, uh, you know, and then it's working to track it down and to track down the contract, right, which we'll talk about, Um, and to confirm all that. And then to kind of come to grips for the time being and then the future that, all right, everything just changed, right, from a football perspective, we assume the Browns will be much better and Super Bowl contenders at some point, whether it's this year in the future because Deshaun Watson is that good. Um, it also changes everything from a, you know, work perspective. Okay, now I have to call lawyers in Houston. And now I have to read all the lawsuits from all the civil lawsuits from the 22 massage therapists, and just all that. And, you know, I know fans were dealing with the same kind of um, shock and many fans struggle to get their head around it. Like we talked about last time. So yeah, it was one of those rare moments that really is surprising to, I think, everybody that saw the news.
1: So this next comment I'm going to make, and, you know, listen, sometimes we're right, sometimes we're wrong, but, you know, we do our best to try to put perspective into it. We do our best to reason as to why we think things may or may not happen. And I made this comment last time we talked about, you know, thinking he wasn't coming here. And I was like, well, you know, did the Browns really think they could get him? Mm -hmm. I mean, a guy like Deshaun Watson, would he really come to Cleveland? I mean, Would he want to play in the cold weather? Would he come to an organization that continually continually fails? And you had, you made a great point. You're like, hey, listen, you know, it's not necessarily like the NBA. You know, they've gotten bigger name guys before. But to my point, and again, I was wrong in the fact of I wasn't wrong that he came here because I didn't know whether he would or not. And when we taped that, we assumed he wasn't, right? Right. But what I what I was wrong about was the Browns actually thinking they had a chance because obviously they obviously they did but to show the context of how they had to have a chance dude they gave up a ton to get him and 230 million listen at the end of the day you're going to give someone 230 million they might go to the moon or uh you know mars to play i mean scott 230 million guaranteed i mean that's unbelievable it
0: is. And, you know, I think we want to break down the press conference a little bit more, but just on that topic is, I didn't believe him. I didn't believe Deshaun Watson at all when he tried to say that he didn't know yeah. that the that the Browns had made it a fully, fully guaranteed offer um, and that that didn't contribute to him changing his mind. Um, I don't want to call him a liar, but I have a hard time believing that, right? Um, I understand why you would say it. You don't want to come off as, you know, it was about the money and you want to say that you liked the Browns the whole time and the roster was the best, which it probably was. If you look at the final four contenders, I do think the Browns had the best roster. But he originally said no. And what changed between Thursday afternoon or Thursday evening and Friday afternoon was the fact that Andrew Barry went back and said, hey, we'll guarantee every dollar on this five-year contract, which is unheard of in the NFL. The biggest guaranteed before that was Aaron Rodgers a couple of weeks earlier. And that was just over $150 million. So it's an almost an $80 million difference between what Deshaun Watson gets from the Browns and the next highest in NFL history. And to think that that didn't factor in, it seems to stretch the imagination. Number one, um, but that's – we also talked about this, I think, last week. So that's how you that's how you convince guys to come play here, right? Or guys yeah. to come play anywhere that isn't their first choice is you throw a ton of money at them. And that's what the Browns did, and we can argue whether that's good or the right thing. We can argue whether that's going to screw up the NFL salary landscape, which we know that there's a feeling like that among owners, some silent, some not silent, like the Ravens. Um, Steve Biscotti mentioned something the other day at the owners' meetings. But if the goal was—and obviously it was—to get Deshaun Watson, and you were willing to overlook the off-the-field stuff or get comfortable with the off-the-field stuff, um, then it became about doing everything possible to land him, and that meant six draft picks, including three first-rounders, going to the Texans, and it meant a record-shattering contract to Deshaun Watson. And the Browns did all of that because they thought it was that important and they thought the opportunity to get a quarterback of this talent level at this age, he's 26, is so rare that you have to go above and beyond. And and that's what the Browns wound up doing.
1: So I don't think you need to get into it fully because you explained yourself on the last pod. And If anyone wants to hear that, they can go back and listen. You, You made it clear that from a football standpoint, you totally understood it. But from the the off-the-field issues, you were against it. You also backed that up on Sports Tonight with Nick Camino, I saw, on Sunday night. And uh, do you stick with that? You don't have to go long on this, but have you changed your mind at all? Are you still, you know, now that you've had some time to let it marinate, you know, how do you feel the fact that he's in a bronze uniform?
0: No, yeah, I've not changed my mind about that. I don't think, if I were the bronze, I would not have gone after Deshaun Watson. Now, I say that by acknowledging, I don't know if he's guilty of the things he's been accused of. Uh, I know what he said, and he said that he had never assaulted, harassed, or disrespected a woman. So that's on the record. I think it's important that I say that when I write about this, because that's his stance, and he's continued to deny any wrongdoing. Um, but I tend to believe this, I believe women and I believe this volume of women. Now, that doesn't mean Deshaun Watson did anything he's accused of. Um, but it seems, it just seems difficult for me to dis- dismiss all these accusations. Having said that, um, I'm willing to let the civil lawsuits play out. I'm willing to, if there's more criminal cases, which there could be, you know, I talked to the lawyer for the 22 women in the civil suits and he said, hey, just because the two grand juries failed to indict doesn't mean there can't be more cases brought, criminal cases brought. He mentioned that some of the accusations, one was in California, at least one was in Georgia, one was in Arizona. So there's other places outside of Texas where this could become a factor. The league doesn't seem to believe that there's going to be any more criminal cases. I believe the, the Browns believe that um that that's a thing of the past and it's all about the civil cases so if that's the case then we'll just have to monitor those um but you know it, it's all it's a lot of it's about the volume to me I read all of the civil lawsuits um since the last time we did a podcast and there there's a lot of graphic charges in there and um they're not easy to read and you'd have to be willing to say that yes all these women were making up all these cases, all these stories. And I just don't want to do that. So that's where I still stand. I'm willing to listen to everything to Sean Watson has to say, willing to let everything play out. Um, and I understand why the Browns did it from a football perspective, but I still have an issue with the pursuit. And I, I think it's interesting to note that during the news conference, which was filled with mostly, you know, serious questions that, Deshaun Watson denied any wrongdoing the Browns stopped short when they were asked specifically, Hey, is this the case of you just, you know, it doesn't meet criminal standards, but you know, Deshaun still did things wrong. It's things you're not whatever, let's say comfortable with. And the Browns never really got like, they didn't give a clear answer. It wasn't, Hey, we completely believe Deshaun Watson. That was not the answer given. So I think the truth you know, I, I don't. I don't want to say the truth lies somewhere in the middle. Um, I think the Browns, and they said this, got comfortable with Deshaun Watson and got comfortable with the situation. But to me, that's not the same as he didn't do any of these things, right? So I, I think that's a. I think that's a difficult situation to be in, in a nuanced situation, um, and that's how I left feeling the news conference. And I want your opinion on this, Judge. I, I think if you went in believing Deshaun Watson, then what he said would just kind of reaffirm that. But if you went in doubting Deshaun Watson, I'm not sure anything he said would make you change your mind. You know what I mean? What do you think about that?
1: Well, I, you know, just, and I didn't watch the entire thing. I, I caught most of it, but I do know that I've walked away thinking, man, I mean, he really is, you know, I don't know what the word is, but he, he, made, he made you feel like if you didn't know anything else in the case and you just went by that press conference, you'd be like, man, this guy didn't do anything. Like, he's he seemed pretty adamant about it. I mean, talking about his, you know, history with women and his family and uh, the way he was raised and just the way the Browns sat next to him and uh, whether they looked uncomfortable or not. I've talked to a few, few different people and some people felt that Andrew Berry looked uncomfortable. Some people thought they looked fine. You know, you could judge that, but, uh, you know, it it, just by listening to him, it's like, wow, didn't even happen. And then people also, and Scott, maybe, you know, the criminal charges, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but what are the main reasons that he's not being indicted criminally? Um, yeah, that's interesting. I, I don't
0: want to speak as an expert. Um, you know, I did, t- I did speak to sexual assault experts who in one of them is a, testifies in a lot of cases, right, that she's an expert witness. And she said it's not unusual for these cases not to receive indictments because there's just a long history of people not believing sexual assault accusers and victims and survivors. And it's a lot of he said, she said, right? And there's not a lot of physical evidence as far as there's no videotapes, right? There's no audio tapes. It's Deshaun Watson and a massage therapist in a room together by themselves. And, you know, so that becomes, yes, he did this and he says, I didn't do this, right? Um, So I think that makes it more difficult to indict Um, I don't know how hard the prosecutor's office tried to indict. You know, a lot of it is from the stuff you read about the legal system. A lot of it is based on how hard the prosecutor pushes to get an indictment. Um, And maybe if the prosecutor felt, hey, even if we get an indictment, I'm not going to be able to convict, then I'm better off not even getting, getting an indictment. So I understand that the NFL and the Browns, there's a team at the NFL as a whole, the teams that went after Deshaun Watson, including the Browns, they took that first lack of an indictment by the Harris County grand jury as the green light to go after Deshaun Watson. Right. There's no doubt about that. Um, but I don't think that means just because he's not. I've had enough people tell me that just because you don't get an indictment doesn't mean that. A crime wasn't committed, or doesn't mean that anything didn't happen. So, um, you know, I think you can't ignore it from a legal perspective. Certainly, I mean, that's the reality: is he has not been indicted on these ten cases, and that's important. But um, I just don't want to dismiss two dozen women making these accusations yeah. until I have what I feel
1: is proof that he's telling the truth and they're not. Well, and you, you've seen people say 22 women don't lie. I mean, that, you know, you've seen different people put that up on Twitter and, you know, and you said this and, and we knew there was going to be backlash to this. Right. You're probably not surprised. I mean, they, the Browns have taken a lot of heat from different organizations and people canceling their season tickets and, you know, not happy about this at all.
0: Yeah. And, you know, that I would assume that that's going to fade. Chug, right? Um yeah. depending on how strongly you objected to this, right? And there's people that objected so strongly that they said I'm not rooting for the Browns anymore and I'm canceling my season tickets. Then there are others who I don't like this, but you know, when we get to the fall, I'll watch the Browns, right? Then there's yeah. others that didn't care at all. It's about football to them. And then there's a group that feels he's innocent. Now they don't have any more information than you and I do. They just feel he's innocent, right? And maybe they want to believe that. And I'm not saying any of those um, opinions is wrong. Um, I'm just not sure anything we've learned has given us definitive information one way or the other. And that includes Deshaun Watson's denial, right? Um, I I thought it was, Uh, I did think it was strong. And I think it's important that he did that. Um, Yeah. But, you know, that doesn't mean he didn't do anything, right? Plenty of people lie, plenty of people, you know, it's yeah. the right move for him to do, you know. I well, I'm not saying lying is the right move, but especially if you believe you're innocent, then you should proclaim that innocence, which is what he did. So I I would understand if that if his interview, if that press conference, news conference changed people's minds. I would understand that. I'm just I just doubt it would for people that were kind of entrenched one way or the other. Um and, and you said you watched a good chunk of it, Chud. I mean that was a really unusual news conference, right? That we've been to from a from a sports perspective, right? Because yeah, the yeah. Phone was let so me serious. Set,
1: and let me set you up for that because you were there, right? Yep. And, yeah. And and there had that was the first in person in a while, right? It was a, most of year, pressers yeah. have been uh through Zoom. I'll yeah, play. we've been,
0: I mean, we had some players, we had Stefanski, we had Barry live for um, Odell, okay. but it was the first time we've been in the media room since media Andrew room. got
1: hired in two years, yeah. Okay, so there you go. So, I want to set you up, first time in the media room in two years, you know, packed house, uh, and again, I, I don't want to put you in the spot, and if you don't want to answer it, you know, don't do it, but what's your take? How did you feel their body language was, Barry yeah. and Stefanski? Was it uncomfortable? Was it did you think they were confident? Because I've seen a lot of different uh, opinions on that. What's your take on the room?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I, I mentioned the tone in, you know, usually when you have one of those things, it's super celebratory, right? There's cameras clicking and there's smiles and they're holding the jersey up for a long time so everybody can get the picture. And it just wasn't that. I mean, they did the jersey at the end for, you know, a few seconds. Um but it wasn't that, and I do appreciate that from the Browns. I, I think they set the right tone, and they respected the seriousness of the discussion and of the allegations. Um, I thought Andrew Barry, you know, he everybody opened with a statement. And in the statement, they acknowledged that this isn't easy for some people. And they acknowledged the seriousness of everything. I thought there was a question late in the news conference to Andrew Berry, and I, I don't remember the exact question, but he talked about having empathy for, you know, sexual assault victims and empathy for people in those situations. And he was really, I mean, all, Andrew Berry's always, he kind of, ta- he talks softly and he's measured in his answers. He's just, that's just who he is. But this was another step or another level to that. And to me, it, there was some uncomfortableness in the answer, in that answer in particular, in just the answers in general, right? Um, because he's getting asked about, you know, well, does this, you know, did he do, did Deshaun Watson do anything wrong? You know, just the whole line, right? Um, why didn't you talk to? The women and all those, all the, the women in the civil lawsuits, all the serious, you know, and I keep using serious, but all those serious questions. Um, I felt some uncomfortableness coming from Andrew Barry. And I think that's natural. I don't know if that's just because of the nature of the discussion or some reluctance from him even to be there and even to be in this spot, right? Some reluctance to have put the organization and himself in this spot, right? And Jimmy Haslam says it was a football-driven um, move by the organization, that the football operations people started it, and he jumped on board. Now, we can argue whether or not to believe Jimmy Haslam there. Um, if that's the case, then Andrew Barry is comfortable with this, and he's one of the leading people behind the decision to go chase Deshaun Watson. But I think if you wanted to play amateur psychologist, you could look at some of the body language and some of the answers and say, man, I'm not sure that they're fully
1: comfortable with what they've done. But at this point, I have to believe this is just for me. So, and then there's the, the zoom with the Haslam's and they weren't in town. Um, they, They had to get that done right before the owner's meetings. I mean, that's why the timing of it and they were out of town. I mean, yeah, that's it was, why that,
0: yeah, they were out of, out of the country. Um, and yes, they didn't want the first time they talked to be at the owner's meetings. And I respect that completely. And, you know, did Sean Watson giving de- depositions last Tuesday and Wednesday in Houston uh, also affected the timing, right. Which is why it was later in the week. He wasn't able to get to Berea. So, yeah, and I don't know the Haslams took a bunch of grief for it. And, you know, I don't know how easy it would have been for them to get here. I'm glad they did the Zoom interview. That was 100% necessary. Would have been better if they were on the same platform? Yes. You
1: know, I think that would have been a much better look. But at least they talked. Um, yeah. At least they talked. My, my, my take from the Haslams is it's hard for me. To I, when when Haslam talks, when Jimmy does, I don't want to say I don't take him seriously, but I'm looking at a guy who, in my mind, is gonna do whatever he can do to get this team to the Super Bowl and on top because he's tried everything. The organization's tried everything. To me, from a football standpoint, and you put everything else aside, they need an elite quarterback. This was their chance to get it, and you know that's the bottom line for me when it comes to him. Now, D talking. Being a female, obviously, and this being such a a serious issue off the field, you know, when she talks and says she feels comfortable, that means a little bit more to me. Doesn't mean it's okay. Doesn't doesn't mean I believe them. It doesn't mean Watson's. It has nothing to do with other how I feel emotionally. So I just get a different vibe from each of them. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. No, that's an interesting. It's interesting. And and I, I get what you're saying. And I would probably agree with that. You know, they talked about how they have two daughters and they put them in a room with Kevin Stefanski, Andrew Barry. I don't know if they're in an actual room or it's a virtual room, but with Kevin Stefanski, Andrew Barry, Paul De Podesta, uh, people in the football department, like for a series of Sundays and had them kind of grill the football people why this was an okay move. Um, and, and I think that's interesting. I also wonder – you know, Dee talked about how this was a long process to get comfortable with Deshaun Watson. And I'd be interested in your take on this, Dave, that if it's a long process and it wasn't easy to get there, um, am I wrong to think that that means that you learned some stuff that you weren't comfortable with? You know what I'm saying? Like if Deshaun Watson was completely innocent and had never done anything then is it that difficult to get comfortable with him? You know what I mean? Or is it just the volume that makes it tough to get comfortable? And I don't know that, and I don't want to, you know, cast aspersions, but I I just think the fact that Dee in particular made such a big deal about her stress that it was a long journey to get comfortable with Deshaun Watson, um, I don't know, it just it kind of raised a – it kind of—I don't raise the red flag. Isn't the right word, but it, it's the right phrase. But I, I wondered exactly what she meant by that, and you know, I know that they did all this investigation and they talked to you know a third-person lawyer, looked into everything. Um, but I don't know. It, it just—it just struck me that she said that, and I get that the end. The result is, hey, we got very comfortable with Deshaun Watson, um, but. I don't know. Did, did that, did that jump out at you at all?
1: Oh, I think that's just her basically making it clear that they didn't just make a rash decision. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, you know, just, does that mean that maybe she means that after they talked to him and got to know him better, cause that seems to be their big deal. Is like how they felt after they got to know him better. Right. I, I, I think they look like complete idiots if, they say they didn't investigate and talk right. to people. Um, so from that standpoint, I, I could kind of get it. Um, yeah, but I don't really know what you're getting at. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It's, yeah. I mean, you know, and it's the fact that, you know, they did bring their daughters into it. Um, I, I thought was interesting. And then, you know, got signed off from everybody and talked to women within the organization, right. All of which is important, clearly. Um, but when you go back to Jimmy Haslam, so your your point is right, right? He's willing to do whatever's necessary to get this team to be a winner, and you know Jimmy's done a lot of things that Browns fans aren't happy with, aren't proud of, and his nearly ten years his owner, right? Um, he's done stuff off the field too, right? The whole pilot flying J scandal um, was a tough one for the organization and tough one for him, but. I don't think there's any doubt that he's willing to spend money. He's willing to put himself out there to try to get the situation right and try to get this team to be a winner and to get to the Super Bowl. And we've seen that through him changing coaches and GMs when he thinks he's wrong, like, right, willing to pay those guys, willing to admit mistakes, whether or not it's too early when he admits his mistakes. Um, Now, this is the biggest of those moves right? It's the most controversial. It's one that maybe draws, you know, side-eye glances at the owner's meetings in Palm Beach, Florida, because he just reset the market for quarterbacks and maybe the guaranteed market for elite players at other positions as well. Um, And he doesn't care. And I think if you're a Browns fan, that that means something to you and you appreciate that, especially when you contrast it with, you know, what the Guardians are doing, you know, not spending any money. Um, wow. So it, that's, why it's, that's why this is such a complex issue, right? It's because you have the football thing where, from a po- football perspective, it's, man, the Browns are all in. You appreciate that. It's I think it's the right move. I, like, I don't have any issue with giving up six draft picks. I don't have any issue with paying him that contract, right? That's what you have to do to get an elite quarterback who's already proven in this league, right, three-time pro Bowl. I get all that, and so from a football perspective, I think it's a really, really <laughs> strong move, and especially when you don't have any alternatives, right? Was the alternative trading up to try to get Malik Willis? Um, was it waiting and getting Jimmy Garoppolo or, you know, maybe trying to get Matt Ryan even, and then you got to figure out your long-term answer quarterback still, right? Like, those are those are the options that Andrew Barry and Paul D. Podesta had, and they're not a lot of great options. So this was the most sure thing from a football perspective that they had on the table. And I understand the admiration for being able to pull that off. I I
1: really do. All the reservations are completely off the field. Yeah. I guess at the end of the day, it's, you know, can you look yourself in the mirror? But then the question is, does it matter if there's no reflection anyway?
0: I mean, (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. And, you know, they did get comfortable, like, you know, that was the word they kept using. Um, you know, I believe the fact that the two grand juries came back was huge to the Browns' thinking, is that we don't have to worry, and whether or not this changes, is we don't have to worry about him going to jail, right? It's all about these civil suits, it could cost him money, whatever. And there's a suspension likely looming from the league. But the Browns are viewing this as a long-term thing, and that Andrew Barry stressed it the important thing to them in the contract was five years because that's a long time to have a quarterback. And if there's a lo- lengthy suspension, whatever that number is, right. Um, they have that extra year on the back end, which they would not have had if they didn't restructure the whole contract.
1: So now criminally, you're right. That's a huge thing. You know, he's not going to go to jail. That is, if nothing else comes up, and it goes back to a criminal proceeding. Cause that Correct. could still happen. Right. Yeah, yeah okay. I mean that's. Yeah, uh, I mean I see that's the kind of thing where I don't think
0: you can ever just rule it out, right? I mean until yeah, the right. statute limitation statute of limitations is over, um, one of the remaining women in the civil lawsuit can certainly try to file cl- criminal charges, right? That's that's not unheard of. Um, I don't think it can be ruled out. Now, I think Deshaun Watson's legal team feels comfortable that. Either that's not going to happen and or, well, we already had success in these first two grand juries. Why would it be any different moving forward?
1: And Roger Goodell just spoke the other day, if you want to maybe summarize all that. But, you know, just my take after listening to him was without him coming out and saying it, 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 it feels like he's going to get suspended. Like, it's hard to imagine no matter what happens, there's not some sort of suspension,
0: or am I wrong there? No, I, I agree with you. The, the only way I see there not being a suspension is if all two twenty two if if all twenty two civil lawsuits play out and they go to trial, and Deshaun Watson wins all of them, then I think he's in a strong case where you could say, you know, hey, how do we suspend this guy when no no criminal cases, and he won every civil lawsuit, right? Um I think that would be the only way. Having said that, the, the NFL can 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 um do their own punishment regardless of anything else. They do their own investigation. Um so it's not necessarily tied to that, but I think Deshaun Watson would have a strong case and the Bronze would have a strong case if he won every civil lawsuit. But the timeline on that there is no timeline on that, right? I mean I talked to the lawyer for the 22 women, and he said the first the first trial is looks like it's scheduled for early fall or just before the fall. Well, obviously, that conflicts with football season. And he said, well, we're willing to work around football season. So that means do you wait until after the season to start the first of 22 trials? I mean, how long would that take, right? So I don't know if there's a timetable on when there would be closure from these 22 or resolution from these 22 suits. And I don't know if the NFL would want to <laughs> wait for that. Um, so my guess is there will be a suspension. My guess would be, it would be at the start of this season, but again, that's not a certainty. Um, it depends on the NFL's investigation. They could talk to some more of the accusers. They've already talked to 10 or 11. They could talk to more. Um, the league could. So, yeah, I'm working under the assumption that Deshaun Watson is going to be suspended. I believe the Browns are working under that assumption. Um, Roger Goodell did not give any timetable for when a decision would be made or punishment handed down. He did say that the commissioner's exempt list is not in play unless there are pending criminal cases. So so he's not going to say, hey, just sit out while this works its way through the legal system. He might do that if there were, new criminal cases, or if these criminal cases had not been resolved, the two grand juries, but where it stands now, that's not an option. So it's either suspension or Deshaun
1: Watson gets to play. Yeah. My feeling on the whole thing is, and, you know, listen, all these quarterbacks, they get these big deals. And then the question is, will they still be motivated? So, you know, listen, none of this is a guarantee, right? It makes the most sense football wise, right? to get this elite quarterback, but, you know, how will he handle playing in the cold weather? Will he still be motivated with the contract? How does this off-field issues affect him? Does sitting out a year affect him at all? How do the Browns, you know, develop a plan around him? I mean, it's not like you just put him there and he automatically succeeds. You would think that he would, but there's a lot of things that go into play here. So you also give up a lot of draft picks and you made it clear that, you know, you're not concerned about that. But at the end of the day, you gave up three number ones, okay? So, nothing – I basically – I guess I'm setting up my comment is I feel like the Browns are either going to make a deep run in the playoffs and finally get to the Super Bowl, or this is going to set them back 10 years. That's how I feel. <laughs>
0: that's a pretty big gap there, Chad. Um, <laughs> right. But, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really interesting, and I, I think you made some good points that we have not been able to get to. He didn't play last year, right? You would assume there's going to be rust. Now, who knows? Maybe not. You know, he says he's been throwing and working out. Um, But he didn't play at all last year. Um, Right? So how does he come back from that? The cold weather you mentioned, and that was obviously a deterrent. And perhaps one of the reasons that he initially said no. And Jimmy Haslam acknowledged that, right? So does he get comfortable being here? Does he get comfortable playing in cold weather? Um, the Browns get lucky and they don't have you know a lot of bad weather games. You know, you never know, right? Two years ago they had that string where they had like three straight bad weather games in November. Um, last year I don't think they had many terrible weather games. So there's some luck involved there. I, I think it is worth noting that he just sat out last year. And yes, the legal situation had something to do with it, but he his demand for a trade from the Texans came before the legal stuff became public and it came like less like six months or seven, eight months after he'd gotten a long-term big money extension from the Texans. So do you have to worry about that? If you're the Browns where a year and a half from now, he says, you know what? I'm good. I, I, I did my time in Cleveland. Um, I want to go somewhere else. I want to go to greener pasture. Um, You know, will he have that kind of leverage given his history? Who knows? But I think that is something to keep in the back of your head because we've already seen him do that with his first franchise, right? And he had agreed to a long-term contract with them. So um, I think those are all legitimate points. I think if, if it doesn't work out with Deshaun Watson, you, you make a good point. Joe. Then what happens, right? Um, now, I'm working under the assumption that it does work out because I think he's that talented. And I think he'll want to be here at least at the start because he picked the Browns and they're paying him a ton of money and he's looking to reestablish himself. I think all those things will factor into it. But if he's not on the field for an extended period, right, whatever that is, 10, 12, 14 games from suspension or he gets hurt because he hasn't played football in over a year uh, or two years, um, yeah, then it's going to be tough for this organization to win at least in 2022. That doesn't mean I won't be able to win in 2023, but, you know, then you're another year further away from when you had gone to the playoffs. And guys on your roster are another year older, right? I mean, there's a lot that happens from year to year, but I do believe that if Deshaun Watson's on the field, he's a top, whatever, seven quarterback in this league. And if you have that guy, it at least gives you a chance to compete with all the rest of these stud quarterbacks in the AFC, right? The Mahomes and the Jacksons and the Burroughs and the Herberts and the Russell Wilson. Now, um, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of big time quarterbacks in this conference, but I, I do think a healthy productive Deshaun Watson eligible Deshaun Watson
1: puts you right on the same footing with the rest of those teams. Can you believe this offseason? Nothing like we've ever seen. I mean, Tyreek Hill, you just mentioned Russell Wilson. Uh, how about um, Tom Brady? Yeah, you know, Devontae uh, Adams. Devontae Adams, that's unbelievable. I mean, the, the Packers with Aaron Rodgers. Every day there's something going on. I mean, it really is. You know, the, the NFL offseason has become more exciting than some other sports regular seasons.
0: It's incredible. And, it is. You know, and,
1: and I really don't. <laughs>
0: Like, part of me thinks that the league does that on purpose, right? Oh, for sure. Right? And I know that <laughs> oh, they want yeah, it to be a 12-month thing, right? Maybe except for June. They kind of shut down a little bit in June. But I I, I, I don't know how you ma- are able to manufacture that many storylines. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, Goodell doesn't go to Devontae Adams and say, hey, you want to go play with Derek Carr, your college quarterback, right? Um, right. He doesn't go to the Chiefs and say, hey, no, draw the line and how much you're willing to pay Tyree Kill," But they, there is this environment created and especially in the last few years and part of it's agent-driven and part of it's players with leverage. But there has been an environment created that not only allows, but probably encourages movement of big-time players and a lot of it And that's completely different than it was five, 10 years ago. And quarterbacks being involved plays a huge part. No trade clauses for quarterbacks plays a big part. We saw that with Deshaun Watson. We saw that with Russell Wilson. And it's not going the other way, right? It's only going to get more and more, I would expect, which, you know, can be scary. I think if you're a GM, that's not, that's a little risk averse. I think you're going to have to change your mindset. I don't think Andrew is risk averse or, Paul DePodesta, so I think they're set up fine for this, but it's certainly a huge change. And you're right, I mean, just it's the way of the NFL where everything is a huge headline,
1: and and it's it's almost 12 months a year. Yeah, I hope it doesn't get out of control though, because you know one thing I did always like about the you know I like when a Tom Brady stays in New England for a long time or Roethlisberger in Pittsburgh. Bad example, I know. I hate bringing his name up, but you you know just I, I don't want it to get to the point where like in the NBA where the players start running the league. And uh, I liked it in, when I was a kid, you know, baseball, you, you know, yeah. the Indians are, you know, a team you root for had the same lineup for five or six straight years. And that kind of has changed now. I hope it doesn't get out of control or maybe they're not worried because that's just the way society likes it now.
0: Yeah. No, it's a great point. I don't know if the league is worried about it, um, but I think there should be concern. And I think, I, I do think the league should look for some kind of happy medium where it's not, every player has complete leverage. It's not your biggest names. It's a drop of a hat you can say, I'm going to, you know, trade me, right. I'm going to switch teams. Um, just because you have one losing season or you have one fight with the coach, Wh- whatever. Right. I, I, and that might That's probably fine for the players or maybe even better for the players if they have that kind of leverage. But you're right. I think as a fan base, your fans don't want unimpeded, nonstop movement. And you mentioned the NBA, and there's backlash from the NBA, right, from all your superstars moving. Uh, And there is something to be said for if Patrick Mahomes plays 10 years in Kansas City or 15 years, right, Um, that just I like seeing that. I'm with you. That's how you grew up. There, there is something to be appreciated by about that. And I do think the league will try to strike that balance between we like the movement, but it can't be unfettered movement.
1: So we hit on obviously the day he made the decision. we talked about the news conference. We've talked about the owner's meeting, added a little bit more. I have uh, Two more questions for you, and then I'm done. But before I get to that, anything else you want to mention on uh, Watson and the the past here? Obviously, Baker Mayfield is going to be one of my two topics. So besides him, besides him, anything else you want to hit?
0: Not on the past, but I I don't know if you're going to ask me this or not, but I'll preempt you if you were. I do, and we'll talk about, I mean, we got months and months to talk about football, right? But I do think, and I wrote something about it this week that's on brownzone.com. I do think we're going to see a significant change in Kevin Stefanski's offense, right? And how many times have we talked about using three tight ends? And is this a run-first offense, right? And we thought that there would be – I thought – I don't want to speak for you. I thought there would be more of a change from year one to year two of Stefanski's offense. I thought he might open it up more, and he didn't. And whether that was Baker Mayfield, whether that it was the receivers struggling, whatever it was, the offense lacked explosion in 2021. But I think you're going to see fundamental changes, whether it's more shotgun, whether it's less play action, whether it's more read option with Deshaun Watson, because he brings that running element to his game, because he's done certain things in Houston that Kevin Stefanski doesn't normally have in his offense. I, I think it's going to look. Different, I don't know, you know, what percentage. I don't know if they want to say significantly different or wholesale changes different. Um, But Kevin Stefanski has been asked about this a couple of times on Friday and then again at the owners' meetings. And he is certainly leaving the door open for big changes to his system. And I don't think that's a bad thing. We saw what happened last year, and obviously you have to adjust to your best players. And Deshaun Watson, being quarterback, you have to adjust to what he does best. But I think it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out and how Kevin Safansky tries to take, to make the best use of Deshaun Watson's talents, which include throwing in the pocket, throwing outside of the pocket, extending plays, right? There's just so many things he does well. But I don't know if you're taking it full advantage if you're under center running play action as much as a bronze did with three tight ends on the field, right? Like that right. feels like it kind of restricts what the quarterback can do I, I think we th- might see things more spread out um, in
1: 2022. Well, right, because the fancy has a different kind of quarterback than he's had, I mean, in the past in Minnesota and, and with Baker. And, and, th- and that leads us to Baker. Boy, if you're a Baker, you're just sitting there going, man, they really didn't want me. They gave up all <laughs> those draft picks and $230 million. I mean, talk about just, hey, you are not our guy. <laughs> I mean, that it is evident now. So what's going to happen with them?
0: Yeah, I mean, he'll get traded. It's a question of when and where. And you know, Andrew Barry talked to—I didn't go to the owners' meetings, but he talked to a handful of reporters at the owners' meetings, and you know, said, "Hey, we're no rush to trade Baker." He, he didn't want it. He doesn't want to be forced into a suboptimal trade, which I understand. Um, but the reality is, he's going to have to trade Baker Mayfield. Now, he doesn't have to trade him today or tomorrow. Now, he might if the right offer pops up, but it certainly doesn't look at this moment that the right option is going to pop up
1: in the immediate future. And it, that's didn't, because, didn't, he, didn't Barry mention that, well, you know, maybe we'll ride into the season with three quarterbacks. Yeah, come
0: on. You can't believe that, right? I mean, there's no, no way if, Baker plays for the Bronx. Now, no,
1: there's a I'll way watch that, your car for a year. If Baker Mayfield is on the Browns <laughs> in the fall, all right? and I, boy, I hope I hope that doesn't happen. But uh but yeah, I mean, I'm there's no way.
0: There's no way. I mean, first of all, Baker's doesn't want to be here. The Browns don't want him to be here. Now, you could make if you just took all like personalities out of the equation, you could say yes. If is there a situation where if Deshaun Watson gets suspended to start the year, you have Baker Mayfield and he's better than Jacoby Brissett. Man, you can make that argument, but the the bridges have been burned. Baker's not going to play here. The Browns don't want him to be here, right? And they made that com- they made that completely clear when they flew down to Houston to meet with Deshaun Watson. And before that, when they never offered Baker Mayfield a contract extension. So they've given up on Baker Mayfield. He's given up on them. It's just a matter of when it happens. So, yeah, Andrew Baird keeps continuing to say that because he's trying to
1: create some leverage among teams, but right. it doesn't yeah, he exist. Wants team, he wants teams to feel like, you know, oh, oh, they might keep them. Well, we right. better, we better go get them. But right. here's the funny thing. He said that a day after Stefanski said that if Watson was suspended or would miss time, they would just roll with Jacoby Brissett. Right.
0: And Stefanski <laughs> said they were hoping for closure, I think is the word he used. Yeah. 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 Right. I mean, like we all know the reality. I understand what Andrew Barry is saying right. and doing, and He's right. He doesn't have to like. He doesn't have to trade him tomorrow. So, we, from that standpoint, I understand not being. He doesn't have to rush into a deal, right? Like if the deal on the table right now, let's just hypothetically say Seattle says, "Okay, we'll give you a fourth round pick, but you have to pay half of Baker's nineteen million dollars salary." Well, maybe at some point Andrew Barry says, "Okay, we have to take that because that's better than us releasing Baker, getting nothing in return, and eating the nineteen million dollars." right but you know he's hoping for better and i understand that and you know the draft feels like uh you know a tipping point in this process is that okay if seattle doesn't make a trade or doesn't draft a quarterback in the draft you're in the early rounds of the draft then they say okay we'll trade for baker mayfield and we'll give you x and you only have to pay five million of a salary or whatever if, if they can come to terms with those things, right? Those are the variables. If mm-hmm. the bronze have to pick up any salary, if the bronze have to throw in a draft pick, what draft pick would the bronze get in return? Or, you know, are there other teams that become interested or become viable options given on, given what happens when you get through the draft and you look at your roster and you say, okay, our roster is basically set through free agency in the draft. Do we need a quarterback? Now maybe some teams will need a a backup quarterback and be willing to take a shot on Baker. Um, So that seems to be the date to keep in mind. It doesn't mean something couldn't happen before then. Um, But right now there's just not a market for him, right? You look around the league and Seattle needs a starting quarterback and Carolina needs a starting quarterback. Carolina could draft one. I think they're at number six. They could draft one there, or even in the second round. I don't, you know, they already had Sam Darnold on his fifth year rookie option. I don't think they want Baker on his 50-year rookie option. So that mm-hmm. kind of drindles you down to Seattle for start. Excuse me, for starting jobs. Then it becomes, okay, what teams might want him as a backup, right? Would Tampa Bay want him? Thinking perhaps long-term if Tom Brady retires, right, or when Tom Brady retires. In those kind of situations where, hey, maybe if you have Baker in your building for a year, you get to know him, he plays a little bit, hey, maybe he's a guy we can look toward the future with because he is a, you know, former number one overall pick. But right now, there's just there's just not a big market, especially one willing to take on the $19 million salary, which isn't a lot of money for a starter quarterback, but it's a ton of money for a backup quarterback.
1: Sure. All right, last thing then. I got to go take a nap so yeah, I can you. get up uh, at 2.30 in the morning and get <laughs> on the air. So uh, last thing for you, uh, Odell Beckham. Beckham Jr., Jarvis Landry. Do do you buy into either of them coming back to the Browns? I'll start with Jarvis. There is a
0: possibility, right? That's what I've been told His agents telling people that there's mutual interest. It's all, you know, it's all about the money. The Browns weren't willing to pay him $15 million. And yes, they needed the salary cap space, but it's also the fact that, okay, was Jarvis worth $15 million? Um, I don't think they would pay him $15 million. I don't know what that sweet spot is. I don't know if he'd be willing to come back to a team that said, hey, you're not worth $15 million. We've talked about this before. There's ego involved. It's a lot easier for some players, maybe many players, to take less money somewhere else rather than less money from a team that was supposed to pay you a certain amount of money. We saw it with Sheldon Richardson a year ago. You know, he took less money to go to Minnesota because the Browns asked him to take a pay cut. So. I, I think there's things that would need to be worked out with Jarvis. I know that he'd much rather play with Deshaun Watson than Baker Mayfield. So Cleveland is – that makes Cleveland an option to begin with. But, you know, as agents said, there's other teams interested. I don't know if there'll be resolution to this quickly either, Chud. I think, you know, when you look at Jarvis Landry and you look at Jadavion Clowney, these things could drag on a little bit. Clowney's proved throughout – you know, the last few years when he's been a free agent, that he's in no rush to sign. So those are still needs, right? Receiver, defensive end is a huge need. Um, But I think Andrew Barry's shown that he's willing to be patient and maybe not rush into, you know, rushing to deal or even wait for Jadavion Clowney, right? If Clowney just wants to wait and make up his mind, um, I think Barry is, is willing to wait as well. When if you're a fan and you look at this roster, you go, oh, my gosh, you need to go get a number two in. You need to go get a number two receiver. You need to go get, you know, maybe a number one defensive tackle. I I think Barry is patient enough that he's not going to force it, even though that could be scary for some fans. So, you know, Landry, you know, would I say, I'm not even sure I'd say 50-50 shot. But I do think there is a chance that he comes back if they can make the money work. Or maybe if he finds that there's no other big offers. Right. And then he says, OK, the Browns are willing to pay the most or I feel most comfortable there. i like my chances of winning the Super Bowl. Right. With Deshaun Watson as a quarterback. And then Odell. I don't think there's any chance Odell comes back. I know it's what's out there. I know, you know, John Johnson, the third, you know, had a Instagram video, which I think he just made up about, you know, you didn't hear from me, but Odell's coming back. I, I don't know. I don't know how, if you're Andrew Barry, you could take Odell Beckham Jr. back. After he quit on your team at midseason a year ago, and it wasn't just about Baker. Odell had asked to be traded long before things got really bad with Baker. So I mean years before, right? So why would you invite that back into your locker room? Why do you invite that back into your organization? What kind of message does that send? So I put the Odell thing at I don't I hate to say never, but I put it at about you know point one or you know. 0.5% chance that he could come back. So I, I don't I don't think fans should have any hope of that, but it's okay to hang on to hope for Jarvis Lane.
1: All right. Boy, that was beefy, man. I, I think we got a lot in there. We did, and I appreciate you uh, staying up for me, Chud, um,
0: getting this done with me, because I think there were so many things that we had to get to. Um, I'm glad we were able to finally hit him.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Now we'll, we'll wait for the next uh, big things to happen. And, you know, that there'll be something coming down soon. There will.
0: There will. And then even if there's not, then we get the draft in less than a month. Right. I got to oh, switch. I got to yeah. switch gears back to the draft. Now it won't be the same buzz without the first round pick, but bunch still have, you know, a bunch of picks. They have one in the second round, two in the third round, one in the fourth round, I want to say. So, you know, well, you can still do some work there.
1: The, the Browns just gave up the fans' next three Super Bowls to try to get to a real Super Bowl. That's exactly right. That's well put.
0: Well put. <laughs> it's going to be weird. It's going to be weird not having um, those first-round picks, you know, uh, assuming they don't trade back in the first round at some point. But that's a, that's a long time to go without a first-round pick. Um, yep. we'll, see, we'll have to see if they stick to that and don't have one. So, Chad, thanks again, buddy. I appreciate it. We'll talk soon. Uh, we'll do another one of these. Everybody, thank you for listening to another episode of the Brown Zone Zone Coverage Podcast. You can read all my work at brownzone.com. Thanks a lot.